Okay, the first speaker today is Josh Pollard, and he will be speaking on the importance of multilateral institutions. Please help me welcome Josh. My name is Josh Pollard, and I'm very excited to have the opportunity to present my thesis to you on what my idea of change is in the world today. It is my position that our current global environment will facilitate in legitimizing and reforming our multilateral institutions and will also aid in increasing our world leaders' tolerance for compromise. First and foremost, I chose this subject because there is an increasing number of problems that sovereign states cannot uh, solve on their own. For example, the pollution from coal-fired power plants does not stop at the invisible man-made border from which it was emitted. The spread of AIDS in Africa, India, and the Caribbean affects more than just their own populations. The financial crisis which originated in the United States has wiped out over $5.5 trillion in banked assets around the world, which in turn correlates to just over 10% of the world's gross domestic product. Perhaps this emphasis on national relevance might seem like a selfish perspective, but by and large, it takes problems to become part of the national interest in order to truly commit to finding a solution. This is especially true in democracies where politicians are constantly jockeying to stay in office. It is also true that many of these tribulations have been in the headlines for many years. But 2009 presents four issues that together corroborate and prove that it is an optimal time to at last begin to find solutions to our most pressing problems. The four main issues that I will focus upon today are the moderating effects of economic globalization, the implications of the global financial crisis, the emergence of what Samuel P. Huntington calls a uni-multipolar world, and the effect of the new American administration. We must first understand that this process will not be short, smooth, or even free of setbacks. But it is my position that today's world's leaders understand that these problems are in need of international cooperation and must be solved in order to ensure the well-being of tomorrow's generations. Very quickly, I would like to qualify what I believe these problems are. Environmental degradation, global warming, the depletion of national, natural resources, and the food and water crises, the division of Arctic lands, economic stability, stability and development, global security and the non-proliferation of WMDs, human rights issues, and finally, the implications of failed and failing states. Multilateral institutions have a turbulent history, from the Concert of Europe to the League of Nations, to our many modern institutions who have had a varying degree of success. Although I wish I was able to speak on each individual institution, I feel that it is important to use my 15 minutes to substantiate my thesis. It is important to acknowledge that no single institution will prove successful in combating the entire scope of problems that we are faced with. Thus, it is advantageous that we have many multilateral institutions with many different forms. The reputation of most of these multilateral institutions have been soured. They've been viewed as highly bureaucratic, glorified, and costly debate clubs. Reforms are urgently needed in order to update and streamline their efficiency. NGOs and corporations must also be introduced into the process for they are becoming increasingly powerful and influential. The first issue I would like to address is the moderating effects of globalization. David Held defines globalization as the widening, deepening, and speeding up of worldwide interconnectedness in all aspects of contemporary social life. Globalization and the increasing web of relationships across the globe 
will provide the foundation for my argument, as it has created an increasing dependence on one another. Hillary Clinton used the Sun Tzu quote at the Asian Society last month to describe this by saying, when on a common boat, cross the river peacefully together. In my opinion, this is not empty rhetoric, but a theme of the new globalized era, which was further strengthened by the Chinese President Hu Jintao when he met Secretary Clinton this past week and returned a Chinese proverb by saying, we'll have progress hand in hand. The relationship between the Chinese and the Americans is the most important example of this interconnectedness. Their economies are wholly dependent on one another. China depends on the United States for its giant trade surplus, for the balancing of its currency through investing in the U.S. dollar and keeping its exchange rate low to maintain its status as a low-cost producer. The United States is just as dependent on China for its investments in U.S. and financing the U.S. debt. Globalization spreads the wealth through international trade due to competitive advantages found throughout the world. A UN study has shown a direct correlation between the increase in GDP and the democratization of political landscapes. The only exception to this is the oil-rich countries such as Saudi Arabia and the UAE. With stabilization and trends towards democracy, it would also be likely to see an increase in the quality of education. Economic globalization has also increased the number of middle powers in the world, like Canada, Sweden, Argentina, and Ireland, middle powers have a long history of using multilateral institutions in order to adopt international resolutions. As Daniel Griswold has written, so long as goods cross borders, armies will not. And in the past 20 years, the number of state versus state conflicts has plunged. While these traditional forms of conflict have decreased, we have experienced a surge in terrorist and international criminal activities. Globalization has empowered these criminal groups who have now have the ability to operate on a global level. Thus, due to the nature of this type of new risk from non-state actors, it will broaden the motives for states to collaborate against these asymmetrical forces. Globalization has been blamed for our current financial situation. And though it is evident that globalization did have an effect on the size and the reach of the crisis, we must keep in mind that it was the poor policies overextension, and the panic selling that caused this global recession. This leads me to my next issue, our current global financial crisis. On September 11th of 2008, when the former Treasury Secretary, Henry Paulson, allowed the financial services firm Lehman Brothers to fail, it confirmed the level of our global economy's systemic risk. Systemic risk is defined as the risk of the entire market. And due to the collapse of Lehman Brothers, the financial industry froze. The blowback from Lehman Brothers' failure was felt around the world, for even the most trusted banks were no longer willing to lend to one another. The international systemic risk caused a cascading effect that proved international economies must work together to experience stable and constant growth. The United States has been severely damaged by the financial crisis, although many other countries have been damaged more so. For example, the world's second and largest economies, being Japan and Germany, have experienced a larger slowdown in GDP growth than the U.S. has. Iceland, Ukraine, and Hungary have been struck so hard that they have been forced to the International Monetary Fund, which is the de facto lender of last resort. The most industrialized nations are infusing capital by the hundreds of billions into their economies through ad hoc stimulus packages. 
It is understandable that when in a crisis, a country might turn inwards and adopt policies that will help their own economies at the expense of others. I do not believe that the thickening of borders will result from this crisis, for it is widely, widely understood that protectionist policies are un, unsustainable and create uncompetitive markets that cannot flourish in the globalized economy. Protectionism also invites retaliation. It can cause trade, war, trade wars, which would further inflame the global downturn. The Buy American Clause, for example, is not, in my opinion, as it has been written, a protectionist passage, for it has many loopholes that will allow international companies to participate in its infrastructure projects. The Buy American Clause, as I see it, is simply a political football used to shore up the support of many politicians' ailing constituencies. In my opinion, it has already proved through the level of international conferences and bilateral meetings that hold solidarity as the main goal for countries in order to minimize the length and depth of the crisis. The third issue I would like to address is the, the development of a uni-multipolar world. A uni-multipolar world describes an international system with many considerable powers but one superpower. Though the United States will remains, remain the world's single superpower for many years to come, their current standing is unsustainable in the long run due to their 0% savings rate, their balance of payments, and annual, deficit, annual budget deficits, and their $60 trillion in unfunded liabilities. The capital infusions from the stimulus and bailout packages could also speed up this progress if not infused efficiently. The Americans are further weighed down by two wars that have no end in sight. While they have committed to leaving Iraq in 19 months, the situation is much more delicate than the media commonly acknowledges. The arming of Sunni militias and the influence that Iran has over the Shiite majority and the federal government, coupled with Muqtada al-Sadr's growing influence in Baghdad, create an atmosphere that is primed for another civil war. Due to these factors, the American position of power and influence will gradually recede. The other emerging economies will rise. This will come mostly from the BRIC nations, which consists of Brazil, Russia, India, and China. These growing powers will create a need for international cooperation and mediation. A balancing of power will also aid in inducing countries to have a longer-term vision of the world and to become more strategic and less tactical. In summary, the larger the amount of strong competitors, the more efficient you must become in order to succeed, as is the case in the business world. The fourth and final issue I would like to address is the effect of the new administration. For the past eight years, George W. Bush employed an almost completely unilateral technique, as was proved with the war in Iraq that the UN refused to ratify. America lost much of its authority with the international community due to various effects such as the flawed intelligence that led to the war in Iraq, the occurrences at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay, extraordinary rendition, and its enhanced interrogation techniques. A good example of how this unilateral philosophy hurt America's standing was in 2003, when the former Iranian President Khatami, with the blessing of the Supreme Leader, offered President Bush what was called the Grand Bargain. The Iranians were willing, up, willing to give up its nuclear program, willing to stop the support of international terrorist groups such as Hamas and Hezbollah, and willing to end its opposition to Israel. In exchange 
for it, it was asking for security assurances and for the removal of oil sanction or for the removal of all sanctions against Iran. President Bush chose not to answer the proposal and did not present it to any of its allies for analysis. As the grand bargain failed, it embarrassed and delegitimized the reformist Iranian government, which then lost its next election to the far more hardliners led by President Muqtada or led by President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. This has had a widespread implications and has weakened America's negotiations to halt especially its nuclear program. Although the American reputation has been sullied, the international popularity of President Obama will assist in increasing the legitimacy and influence of the United States. President Obama has pledged to listen instead of making demands. He has guaranteed to make decisions in concert with other world leaders, and he has been quoted as saying, we know that America cannot meet the threats of this century alone, but we also know that the world cannot meet them without America. Thus, to summarize, globalization has increased the interconnectedness of international communities. The financial crisis has proved that there is a massive level of international systemic risk. The emergence of a uni-multipolar world has increased the number of countries with power and influence in the international community. And the new Obama administration has provided evidence that Americans are now going to take a multilateral approach to international solutions. These four issues provided the framework, and I believe confirm that our global environment will enable in legitimizing and reforming our multilateral institutions, and will also aid in increasing our world's leaders' tolerance for compromise. Thank you very much for this opportunity and for having me here today.